Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome to our July show. I'm Dr. Connie on House Calls. You know, I can't believe that half the year is over. Can you believe that? We're into July. Well, we've got a great show today with a very special guest in studio. But as usual, I start off with my honorable mentions for the month of July. And I want you to know that July has the most birthdays. So you got to figure July, August, July, August, September, October. So October was a very reproductive month for a lot of people. So here's the month of July birthdays of special people in my life that I'm going to do a honorable mention. Dr. Jerry Evidente shares July 4th birthday with the United States of America. Jeannie Damon, happy birthday. Lydia Vlacos, birthday. Marjean Weber. Nurse Chrissy Pacheco is having a birthday this month. Frank Rechterman, happy birthday. Dr. Asha Devereaux, who's been on my show before in San Diego, happy birthday. Eric Larson, John Ellsworth, my dear friend Joycey Sullivan, happy birthday, my dear Harvey Alpert. Joanne McDowell shares a birthday with her dear friend Marsha Meyer. Elina Pepper, who has been on my show with her mother, Dr. Patty Pepper. Happy birthday, Elina. She is in her junior year at Dartmouth as a pre-med major. Lori Adams, my former neighbor at Desert Mountain. Maria Culpin up in Colorado. A special birthday greeting to my beautiful daughter-in-law or daughter-in-love, Erin Stevens, and to my adorable granddaughter, Addie Stevens, who turned six years old this month. I promised her I will take her shoe shopping at Nordstrom. That's a wonderful way to spoil your grandkids. Joe Sherman, happy birthday. Also this month in studio, we have Sam Kawa, who we're going to introduce shortly. Sam celebrates a birthday this month, July 17th, with his wife, Sarah. They're about two hours apart, so he will never forget his wife's birthday. <laughs> Jerry true. Jerry Kemp is our pilot buddy in Ohio. Vita Rowe here in San Diego. Dr. Daniel Amen in California, brilliant physician. Scott Colson, Dr. Richard Tubb who is my successor at the White House. Happy birthday, Dr. Dick. Ray Williams on July 21st, a dear friend of ours. Warren Adelman in Hawaii. Annette Bricka, who has been on our show when we talked about mediums. Carol Martin, Emily Adelman. My sister-in-law, Val Kosmicki, the end of this month. Happy birthday, Val. Conductor Case Scaglione, a brilliant conductor, lives in Paris, the son of my late dear friend, Lisa Scaglione and my sweet friend, Patty Good. Happy birthday to all of you. Also to celebrate the month of love is a wedding anniversary for Aaliyah and Jason Stevens, my son and his beautiful wife, who have been married one year this month. As we know, the first anniversary is paper, so they've signed papers for their new home in Minnesota. So happy moving in. It's also a special anniversary for those loved ones who have passed over into heaven. My father's uh, angelversary, as we say it, my father's first name was Angel, was July 5th. He was almost 94 when he passed away. That was two years ago. 
And my beloved husband, John, two years ago, July 1st, flew off to heaven. He sends me kisses from heaven all the time. and I'm amazed at the power of the other side. Also to Nicole Grunfeld, her second anniversary as well. Her dad is doing well. She's got a sweet nephew that her sister Sarah had a little boy. So the cycle of life continues. My dear friend Glenn Powell, who was at the White House, known as the Bagman, he passed away July 26 last year. I'll reach out to Rhonda, his widow, at the end of this month to say hello to her. And then recently I lost one of my dear patients and friends, Stuart Goldberg. So condolences to his wife, Nancy. Uh, Stuart was an amazing guy. He was a, an attorney, wrote books. He was a long-distance pilot, fly, flow, flew cross-country long-distance for hours on a plane, and he was a glider pilot. And the other day when he had passed, I was on the phone talking to his wife, his widow, about his passing. Um, and as I was talking to her out my window, there was the most beautiful hawk that flew over and circled in a thermal, which is what glider pilots do. So I said, there's Stuart again on the other side, you know, soaring away in the heavens. So I wish him great peace, and I wish Nancy comfort in this really tough time. I I look at my journey, and I've gathered a a large number of widow gal pals, widow friends, and and it's tough. Uh, you, You go through it alone. It's the shock of losing a loved one. And even those who expected to lose them and went through illness, it's still it's an adjustment and the things that help you get through the first year, two, three, four years and so on is to let us widows grieve in our own way. We all grieve in our own way, our own timetable. It really is the toughest gig and it's, it's the club that none of us really wanted to sign up for. But what really helps is to have the support of friends to call on you, just, just say, hey, how are you doing? Have you eaten today? Or even to text you and say, how are you holding up? just to reach out and and know that you're there thinking about them and then honoring their loved one's memory because they still live on, their memories live on. That's really all you have left in the end is your memories of your loved one. So I move on to another happy note here. Uh, July is America's birthday, July 4th. We celebrated this month Independence Day and America turned 244 years old on July 4th. So, you know, it's not all about barbecue and sales, folks. It's really about this country, where it came from. In order to appreciate where we came from, you really got to understand history, not rewrite it, but understand it from the context of where it came from, that we had a revolution, people died, people left England, we left England to form this country. And why did we do this, right? Why did we become America? And so I encourage everybody to read the first few lines of the Declaration of Independence on that special birthday. And I'm going to share these lines because they're so beautifully written. And I think I'm always touched when I look at the eloquence and the meaning of this in the context of what the Founding Fathers developed in that time. I'm going to share with you these lines from the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them 
a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men, which they mean women as well, all people, are created equal, <clears throat> that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think there is where we came from. That is what we should celebrate and be grateful for. So this show I dedicate to struggle, the blood, sweat, and tears of what made this country great, which gave us all the opportunities, but most of all, the freedom of speech, that we should relish that because not everybody has our freedom of speech, and we should also respect each other's freedom of speech, even if it doesn't agree with our own personal mindset and beliefs, we should be respectful of that. And it's sad that we don't see that often nowadays, that people who disagree with you wind up attacking you personally and stereotyping, and, and, and I find that very difficult to watch, that we should be respectful of the other person, but if we disagree, we should disagree over their political be beliefs, but not over their personality. It really is whatever policies, but should not be towards a human being or person. So I look at the struggles we went through, and that we're still going through, and I, I like to use the term from tears to cheers, because how do you go from devastation, sadness, difficulty, to celebration, to joy, to happiness is what we mentioned, the happiness portion in the Declaration of Independence. And I like to focus on how we struggle, but most of all, how we develop resilience. How do you become tough, but not only tough, not only survive, but thrive, to be able to bring something greater than ourselves into this world to help others from a source of pain and difficulty. And that's when I thought of our personal guest today who is gonna share some of his journey as well. And we, we had a meeting prior to this about sharing about his personal life story, which I think will touch many of you as well. But for me, I, I look back in these past two years and my, my late beloved husband's John's second anniversary of flying off into heaven was July 1st. And truly, it has been the toughest two years of my life. In addition, we went through the pandemic, the disruption of all that, and lots of issues of, of moving out of the house, selling it, changes, numerous changes. <clears throat> and change is tough. And there were times that in my lowest of times, I said I would welcome death. I would welcome being with my husband because I would prefer to be with him. But it was not my time. It is not my time now. It is up to God to decide when that is. And obviously, my work in this life is not complete. But what keeps me in this life are my family, my, my wonderful sons, my, their wives, my adorable grandchildren, my dear, dear friends, and my patients who have many of them become my friends that I don't want to let them down. That I think if you have obligations to people, you want to keep your word to them. You don't want to let them down. And, and I don't want to be fearful of those things, that I want to do my job, what, what I'm meant to do. And we all have a calling in this life. And we have to ask, what am I meant to do in this life? Why, have I, why am I still here? And every morning, 
I wake up and I, I say my morning prayers of gratitude. And I, and I ask God, all right, God, I'm still here. What do you want me to do? Show me a sign. Make it so obvious that I get it and, and I'll just follow your path. That's You got to aim for something greater than yourself. And life's tough. And we, we look at struggles. We look at solving problems. I really enjoyed reading Dave Rico's book during the pandemic because that I think one of the gifts of the pandemic was it allowed me time to fully grieve my husband's loss by reading, being alone at, in my new place to live, not being distracted by travel, by eating out, by friends, but really alone time. And I think spirit talks to us in a whisper when we're not distracted. So that's why when people engage in mindfulness and meditation, they find enlightenment because they can hear another voice within them. And it's not necessarily them. You wonder. It comes from a greater source. And as my woo-woo friends say, it's from the greater consciousness, the universal consciousness that sends you that message. But I, I think of Dave Rico's book, The Five True Things, and I love quoting what he says. And the five true things I love to quote that, that are the givens in life. And the first is that uh, not everything goes according to plan. The other is life is about changes and endings. The third given is there is pain in life. The fourth given is uh, that not everybody we know is loving and faithful all the time. And the fifth one is life is unfair. And those are all true things. And if you accept those true things that happen, and you accept them with the idea of not why me, but what's next, then it changes your viewpoint from being a victim to somebody who's open to opportunity. And people will say, well, I I don't have the strength to do that. But if you look back at your life and look at all the tough times, because a lot of us don't want to dwell on the tough times, but every single one of us has been through difficulty and challenge. If you go back, rewind your mind tape, to the time you struggled, you got over that, right? And the only way to get through it is to get through it, to go through it, not avoid it, not to deny it, not to blame it on somebody else, but to get through it. And if you do it knowing that there's a lesson for you somehow, even if it's not what to do, but what do I need to learn from this, this painful time, it changes your whole mindset about life. So I have a special guest today, and. I think of this person off, and I'm, we're, we're actually headed up to the break. And I want to spend a little more time after the break uh, introducing him. So I just got the little nod here from the engineers. We're going to go to a little break here in a few minutes, and then when we come back, I'm going to introduce my special guest, who I've known for about six to seven years in studio, but I've known him through hospitality industry at one my favorite restaurants in the whole world, and John and my favorite restaurant, Cafe Monarch in, in Scottsdale, Knoll Town. And I want you to stay tuned because there's a great show ahead with my special guest, Sam Kawa, who's going to talk about not only great wines, but, but taking what would have been sour grapes and converting it into fine wine in your life. So stay tuned on Dr. Connie's House Calls for our special guests after our break with Sam Kawa, Sam the Man. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. 
Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the president of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano, If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. For the month of July, we celebrate... America's independence and the struggle of the founding fathers and mothers who created this amazing nat- this amazing country of opportunity that allowed me to come here and become an American citizen and to achieve the things that I would have never achieved in other countries. To, the freedoms that we we've enjoyed are so taken for granted by many people, but I truly appreciate those things, especially being able to have a radio station where I can speak freely and invite people without censorship, I think is is an amazing gift here in our country that a lot of people don't appreciate. And sadly, I think some people abuse because they wind up criticizing just because you disagree. You can disagree, but just don't criticize the human being, right? So I always find great joy and lessons from other people's lives, especially if there's adversity and how they turn it around. And the person studio today is somebody I've had the pleasure of knowing for the last eight years. I've always associated him with happy times because whenever my beloved husband John and I would go to Cafe Monarch, our favorite restaurant in Old Town on First Avenue in Scottsdale, Sam the Man was there. So I'm going to give you a little bit of brief bio about Sam the Man. We Sam, or we name him Sam, I am, Sam Kawa, is honored to be one of only four advanced sommeliers active in the state of Arizona. He has had the privilege of serving for many years on the floor of Arizona's top restaurants such as Kai and Cafe Monarch. 
He was named a 2019 Rudd Scholar by the Court of Master Sommeliers. Sam has emerged as one of the nation's most prestigious advanced sommeliers, and he is humbled to share his knowledge and passion with all his guests. Once in his stewardship, Sam wants you to forget his impressive credentials. And by the way, he's brought up probably one of the most humble people I know. He wants you to focus on enjoying your wine, your food, the ambiance, the whole experience of dining. When you dine with Sam, it's not about him and his accomplishments. It's about using his craft to maximize your experience as his guest. He makes it all about you. And I think the gift of Sam and the dining experience I've, I've experienced at Cafe Monarch, they make you feel as though you are the most important person there. And I think that is a gift. Not everybody does that. Is to If you can make the person you're with feel like the most important person there, you would have given them a great gift. So hospitality is Sam's natural gift. His passion and his authenticity allow him to facilitate unforgettable meals and tastings. Sam innately cares about each guest and strives to provide everyone with their own unique, unparalleled journey. His incredible ability to combine expertise, fervor, and hospitality guarantees his guests fine dining experiences that they remember forever. So welcome, Sam, hey, to our show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Every time I think of you, it just brings a smile to my face because when I go to have dinner and you're there, I think your attitude pervades the whole experience. But, you know, you shared with me, and a lot of people don't know about your personal pain, which led you here to Arizona into hospitality. Do you mind sharing with us about your dad? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so uh, the, the turning point in my life that really uh, changed the set of actions that I thought I was going to go on hoping to be a government professional, either working for uh, the FBI or CIA, was to become a uh, interpreter, a translator, some sort of special agent. Uh, after uh, serving my stint in the military, uh, my father was abruptly taken away at that time during the uh, end of my um, specialized training uh, in uh, Fort Huachuca. And in that, I immediately shifted course in my life where I uh, got out of the military honorably and uh, sold my father's business and was kind of the patriarch and backbone uh, to keeping my family together. You know, you're such a kind person. Your father was taken away. Your father was murdered. Yeah, he yeah, was. He was murdered by was. a senseless murder. A, by, by a druggie. By a, by a druggie who just, you know, doesn't respect life and didn't think. Uh, Serving time uh, in jail. Yep. Yeah. Life. Life in jail. So what happened after your father died, was murdered? Um, immediately thereafter, it, it you know, I went through the course of action. We uh, appraised the the store and kind of uh, taken a step back to see what the best course of action as to moving forward was and and what I wanted to do with my life. And really at that very bottom point is when my older sister had planted a seed in my head and, and had said, you know, why don't you get some sort of training so we can begin to work on uh, a building that we can manifest that we can then later on turn into something special. And at that 
set point uh, was the starting that would uh, kick off the new chapter of my life, truly. Why did you pick hospitality? It is, it is sincerely what I know uh, that I do better than I do anything. And in my whole life, in my whole life, I uh, have had, a, you know, a series of events uh, of a great model to look at. And without knowing it, my dad was a, a wonderful example of someone who uh, would give the shirt off his back to make sure uh, someone was doing okay, uh, would cover uh, someone's tap if they could not complete their grocery order. He was that kind of person that led by true example. And uh, when I say that if I could be half the man my dad was uh, and that I would be proud. And when I chose hospitality, my most intimate moments uh, at a dinner table came, or with my father, came at the dinner table. So in that, I said, when he didn't want me to join the military, uh, I never wanted a silver platter. I wanted a story to tell. I wanted something that I earned that I could truly call my own. And I, I know that this is what I'm exceptional at. So. Now, you're an immigrant, right? Your parents came from? Amman, uh, Amman, Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, that's where my mother's from. My dad is uh, Palestinian. He's from Nablus. Oh, now, and so what language did you speak at home? Uh, both, both Arabic and English. Do you understand Arabic? Quite well, yeah. Fluent. Yeah, very fluent. Yeah, and I was lucky enough as we lived, uh, as they were kind of transitioning and going through a divorce, I was lucky enough to get to go uh, to a private school. So my whole life, I grew up bilingual, and that gave me the sense yet again to know that I'm bilingual. Why not continue to do what I'm best at, and and that's to be a interpreter in the military. Well, you're you're actually the guy we would recruit into the CIA. Yeah, honestly, you yeah. would have. But instead of taking that course. Your father's murder made you look at life differently. 100%. So how'd you wind up in Arizona? Uh, my mother at the time owned a uh, store in Lake Havasu City. Uh, she owned a liquor store. And I said, well, there's a culinary school here. I can be around my family and uh, just kind of be in that close proximity. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the start of anything at that time was the most difficult. So, so uh, moving that... that pace on, I, um, as I began through culinary school and kind of gaining my bearings, not only did I have a whole new skill set to learn, and as a, a student, um, I had a cousin to take care of who uh, came from Saudi Arabia, who was a foreign exchange student, uh, that oftentimes our you know, beginnings were not really that fun. Yeah. We started with nothing. I yeah. mean, there were days that I would drive to Lake Havasu and drive back, and it took months to get a house and a floor to sleep on. Wow. Yeah. And But I never saw myself as better or worse than anyone. Yeah. I simply saw myself as I'm on a course of action, and I have something that I came here to do. Right. And didn't find anything that was going to slow me down. Right. Yeah. You were mission-driven. I'm 1,000% mission-driven. What that got you through that? <sighs> Tell about culinary school. If somebody was listening and they go, well, I want to go to culinary school, how do you, do you apply to that? I mean, yeah, you do. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a technical, you know, it's a craft school, but it's not one that you need to have a certain GPA or, or previous uh, college credits or anything like that. It's, and I'm not bashing 
slashing any type of education that you choose to get, it was a very expensive one. I will say that. So you pay for it. You upfront, certainly yeah. do. Yeah. It's no, many, through traditional. How many um, years do you yeah. spend? A, a couple uh, for my associates yeah. uh, in culinary arts. Yeah. And they test you on what you cook and written. Uh, and- uh, well, yeah. So uh, I went to the school Le Cordon Bleu. Uh, it was the first uh, French culinary uh, program in uh, Arizona taken on by Scottsdale Culinary mm-hmm. Institute. And I, I have a great deal of gratitude because it gave me the platform to want to be curious, to want to learn more. And I think that's the purpose or point of any great education is to give you a platform to become the student, to want to learn more. And now from there, after you graduated, can you describe where you wound up going Certainly. Next? I think the biggest dogma that's wrapped into any school and the way that the school itself was advertised was simply that go to culinary school, become a chef, earn this great salary. <laughs> that is hardly, hardly the case. That is never, never Work the case. Work in a hot, sweaty kitchen. Yeah. Right? But, but, you know, in that, I, I kind of, I found it as a mission statement that I took something that I took so seriously from those meals that I had with my father, that whether you're on your first date or your 10 year anniversary, um, you have the chance to spend time with me. And uh, I think that food truly is the greatest tangible uh, show of love because you're spending your time making something, whether it be flipping a burger, making a Reuben, or just simply dressing a salad. That's an effort and action of of time that you don't get back that you did for someone um, that you know, it's to say I love you. Yeah. Um, and and no matter where it starts, and no matter how low you start, I started peeling cases and cases of tomatoes for eight hours. Did I always have that vision in line? Certainly not. But I always had that curiosity, that question of what's next and and how can I add more value? How can I do more? So, so how did you wind up at Cafe Monarch? Um, you know, my tenure with Cafe Monarch began about six or so years ago. And uh, it began through a former relationship that I had with the owner who came about to acquire the uh, building, the restaurant. The, the name itself transitioned from the monarchy, the one, uh, to Cafe Monarch for just simply having butterflies occupy the, the patio area. And uh, Christian had recruited me and offered to sponsor my wine education. And that's where I decided to take that leap and, and commit to being a part of that family. It truly is a family-run business, and that's what makes it so special. So tell us about sommelier. See, I, I as you know, I don't drink. Right. Even though my late husband and I collected wine because uh, one of the guys who owned his company uh, owned a wine vineyards and he would be obligated to purchase wine, which we had a great wine cellar, as you know, <laughs> but so our friends could drink it. But I, you know, I, I think I've got alcohol dehydrogenase deficiency where I break out in a rash, but I never developed a taste in that. But yeah. But I have dear friends who love wine, and I always bring them to you so you can discuss all the different types of wine. But how does – tell us about the whole field. I know we only have a short time, but can you, in a, in a, in a capsule, describe what you do? 100%. Yeah, so a sommelier is a position in a restaurant uh, of a person who is thought to be the top hospitality professional, top service professional, who's deemed to be the, the – 
expert on a distilled or fermented beverage, basically anything that can affect a guest's experience. So, and that just doesn't just pertain to popping bottles on the floor, but also driving sales and crafting and curating a wine list. Hmm. Um, yeah. So why why wine? wine? Did you always like wine growing up? Far, or? far from it. <laughs> um, yeah, just because I'm Arabic doesn't, no, that doesn't mean anything, no. Um, no, I sincerely mean this from the bottom of my heart. Wine to me is just another form or method of, of hospitality. It is a tool in my arsenal uh, to bring people together because whether it be food, any distilled or fermented beverage is just another means of uh showing someone you care and that's that's simply it do you have favorites um i'm a sentimental person i certainly do love pinot i proposed to my wife in sonoma county uh <laughs> at at a winery and uh you know we we uh yeah we love our pinots so so tell me about the credentialing process you're going through now where i like to use the term you're going to sip for your next uh, exam here, to, how do you tell oh, us man. what credentials you're certainly? You're, yeah, so um, I'm finally at the stage where it is something that I've long revered and, and uh, sought after for a long time that COVID's put on hold. Um, but I am a master sommelier candidate, and in fact, in a few days, I'll be sitting for my first attempt at the master sommelier exam. And so, what does that entail? So um, that is a three-portion uh, exam uh, that is uh, all-encompassing in the world of beverage with a major focus on wine. There's the theory portion, which I will take. Uh, it's a verbal test, 125 questions uh, and 45 minutes, and the standard is 75%. Um, and then after that, once I pass, I will then move on to St. Louis, where in consecutive days I'll take a service portion and a tasting portion. Most people are, are afraid of, of the tasting portion, and uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of hype and drama that's been entailed with that in recent years, but uh, I'll take it one step at a time. So so how do you study for this? Is there a didactic oh, written part you can it, read? One, I mean, certainly. there. There's a lot of wonderful tools that, uh, that kind of coincide with the curriculum and, and the standards, uh, but basically any um, professional wine book, any Jancis Robinson uh, book out there for me has been very beneficial. Um, yeah, and then there's the Court of Master Sommelier's website, the Guild Somme website, and many other resources But how as about well. your, your taste, your tongue? You, you know, have to sample I, I think, lots of different Honestly, wine? I think the biggest um, uh, you know, misnomer with sommeliers is that we're a bunch of drunks walking around. I know. We and worry about I that. Think, I think <laughs> that could be a big... Um, misnomer. It's not yeah, true. Yeah, certainly true. it's not true. I, I mean, it's certainly a vice for some people. Because you're skinny. You're not I, overweight. Yeah, you look um, healthy. Thank you. Um, I, I, my main philosophy is that I bring the party, I'm not the party. Okay. And when you taste wine, it's it's with the intent of purpose of what is this going to go with. Uh, and one of the greatest first lessons that I learned uh, along my professional career is that I'm a DJ. I'm trying to curate and bring together the things that people like. It's not always about my taste, but how can we best bring people together? I like so, that. Yeah. I like your term, you bring the party, you're not 
you're not the party. Yeah. So we're going to pause for a little break here, and then we're going to back with Sam the Man Kawa, who's the sommelier at Cafe Monarch, getting ready to sip for his master sommelier credential, which I hope and pray you get. So stand by on Dr. Connie's House Calls. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the president of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano, if you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. We're in studio with our special guest, Sam Kawa, who is the sommelier at Cafe Monarch. He is an expert in the hospitality industry, and he's a dear friend of ours. And he's sharing about the journey to be a sommelier, the different credentials. It isn't all about the guy who's drinking lots of wine and you think, oh, God, these guys, all they are is they have alcohol issues, right? But this is his profession. This is your profession. 100%. And it's tough. Do you recertify every so many years? Uh, so once so there's four tiers to uh, the uh, court of masters for so there's an american chapter and there's a european one uh, and the four tiers begin as a intro that is something that you do have to recertify in the the world of wine is ever expanding and and changing and and as an intro it basically entails a, uh, t- a two-day process of uh, deductive tasting with a class a lecture uh, going around the world of wine understanding the cause and effect 
aspect of the great wines of the world. And that to me is the most enlightening part. Um, this certainly wasn't in, in that place and time, but it was intimidating. Um, but that concludes with a multiple choice exam and a, a demonstration of service. And that elapses after three years, okay? And once you uh, complete that, then it's, it's, it's said that you should wait a year until you take your certified to kind of let the information settle in and, and make sure that you're ready to move on because no step of this process is inexpensive by any means, mm -hmm. especially considering tariffs and whatnot within the mm -hmm. last year. Um, I, uh, I waited for about six months to move from my intro to my certified. And when you uh, show up for that, it is uh, three, those three parts in one day. And as you can imagine, it, the, the, the information becomes more granular. Uh, it, so it's uh, at the time I did it, I think it was two wines. Uh, one white, one red, completely identifying the region, subregion, grape variety, vintage, and understanding that to, to you listening, it could sound like a magic trick, but once uh, you can break it down and truly understand what makes a wine tick, it, it is enlightening and a lot of fun and a source of great context uh, because a lot of great history is involved in wine, and that's another reason why I enjoy it so much. But uh, the journey from certified to advanced is it's much more granular than that. In fact, you have to uh, get accepted into a lecture before you go into the uh, advanced exam. You have to be invited for each step of this process. And I was lucky enough to be alongside a journey of great enthusiastic individuals who helped me along the way. Uh, it always takes a village, and I'm never afraid to be thought foolish or to ask for help or to ask any question that I think may help me along my way. And I uh, am forever grateful to have those people in my life. Well, you've had a lot of people teach you and mentor. You, who has the best wine? Which who, country? Man, that is, is such a great question. Italy? France? France always thinks that they have the best everything, and it's, <laughs> it's a great source of frustration understanding French wine, let alone breaking it down for the majority of the market. There's very few places in France, or Italy for that matter, that append the name of the varietal to the bottle. So that can become really confusing, but that's also the reason why I have a job. Mm -hmm. uh, I... You know, there's a very small percentage in the world of wine where you go to a country and would drink someone else's wine. I'm American. I like American wine. That is my opinion. So I, what are the best American wines in your Napa opinion? Napa Valley, to me, is the heart and soul of uh, American wine. I think in the, in the judgment of Paris in, in America's 200th birthday, there came a gentleman by the name of Stephen Spurrier who pinned up uh, 10 small farmers, small producers against the f best French wines and called it the Paris tasting and some of the most prolific palates uh, mm. rated America's wines to win that, mm -hmm. um, uh, such as Chateau Montalena and mm -hmm. Stag's Leap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and that set the world on its side. And that was a wow. major historical event that these bottles of wine are featured at the Smithsonian today. So that's a part of our history that's when you talk about that. Impressive. That is impressive. Because yeah. you always think fine wine, either Italy or France. And yeah. American. And they're great. Those wines or are great. Or the Willamette Valley. Yeah. You always talk about that. But, and they're expensive. I mean, a wine, a wine aficionado, it's not cheap. What is the most expensive wine you've ever 
served? I have been so fortunate in my uh, tenure in my career thus far to try some of the world's great wines and the friends that I've made along the way. Um, the most expensive or the greatest wine I've tried uh, is pretty endless. There is a producer in Burgundy by the name of Domaine de la Romani Conti, where a bottle upon release can fetch, you know, seven to ten thousand dollars. I've had that numerous times. Whoa. Um, you know, I've had guest share bottles with me that are literally priceless. A 1990 Almond Rousseau uh, Clos de Bez is a Clos, when you see those words in front of a uh, French bottle of wine, that's a walled vineyard uh, that's thought of as a very special place. Um, that bottle upon release is three, four thousand. It's it's well over ten thousand dollars. But the underlying point that I need the world to know is, the wine is only as good as the people you share it with, right, and that's right. the only value of any any yeah. product. You either so. celebrate or medicate, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, you're just yeah. like, give me more wine. I can't stand these people. And exactly. I think it, it goes back to the experience of dining. It really is. It isn't just eating food. You're dining. It's the ambiance, the people you're with, the food. You know, Americans have been in such a rush that they just wolf down their, their food. They don't even remember tasting it. Yeah, but to to savor the flavor and take your time, and enjoy the people around you and not be rushed, and and a lot of people they rush through their meal and they re- realize they overate, and then you know you get the obesity issue because they have huge portions and they, by the time they're satiated they've eaten way beyond that. So how, how do you stay trim? Do you, I know you work out. Do you yeah. just limit your portions or? You, you have to be mindful of that. Um, I do, yes, I limit my portions, and I, I make it an avid like I habit to want to exercise. It's it's important. It's you know food is sustenance, uh, and I, and unfortunately I don't have a gray area. I either eat my junk food ever so often, <laughs> or I like can, the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I try to stay habitual with that. But you know, I a lot, I've again I'm not a wine drinker, but I know from studies that it, it's usually red wine that increases the HDL. You know, how do you increase your HDL healthy cholesterol? You aerobic activity and red wine. Now, how much is Recommended depends on the size of the person. Usually, for a man, you know, not more than two glasses of red wine. For women who are my size, one and a half, one glass of wine. I can usually tell on their blood work if someone is indulging too much because their MCV, mean corpuscular volume, is usually elevated because that deals with B12 metabolism and the bone marrow, and usually the liver enzymes are up. And I go, what are you drinking? You know, they'll usually they'll tell me that. But but you, you get to the point. I usually say too much of a good thing is an addiction. Are there people, I'm, I'm sure you see people who get addicted, right? Or, 100%. And I think that's the do? culture that we live in. It, I, you know, it's never in my kind of facility to say, oh, mm-hmm. you, you sure you, you want that yeah. second dessert? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's a very fine line I, I have to play with. But oftentimes, in, in the instance, it's much less in wine. I think the biggest problem when you drink too much wine is simply you, it, it's a alcohol uh, alcoholic beverage that you're not getting any benefit from. The point of wine is that it's nuanced, and that's what you're the there flavor. to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. the um, flavor. So you're not tasting that after a while. The more you drink, the less you taste, and that right. point of wine is tasting. But it's really about the experience. I mean, your years in yeah. hospitality, what can you share about what you've learned about 
serving people. Because, you know, we talk about what you do as a sommelier and, and the hospitality, and what I do as a physician, we are really in the customer service industry. We're 100%. serving others. Yeah, for sure. What have you learned about what makes for great service? Yeah, the best deal to, to uplift and kind of bring uh, memory to the next level is uh, being a chameleon. And I, I try to be everything to everyone. And one of the most difficult parts of that is uh, always having the true empathy and understanding of where someone's coming from and uh, playing that background seat and just doing everything I can to complete that that memory, that experience, and just realizing why you're there and remaining grateful for that. Um, that to me means means it all because the most valuable thing we have is not the dollars you came with to spend. It's the time that you're spending with me. Well, you know, that whole attitude that you bring is, is so important. I, I look at in taking care of patients, you have to take it, understand it from their viewpoint. It isn't about me lecturing to them, this is healthy, this is not, but looking at life from where they're coming from and understanding, and then if I can impact them in a way that's beneficial, but in a way to communicate that they get it, right? Yeah. I think one of the things that impresses me about you and, and the people you work with is there's no snobbery, there's no snootery. If I went to the finest French restaurant, I always feel there was a little bit of the wine snob in them, especially when I order a Diet Coke. They look at me like I'm some infidel. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's the attitude you have, it's towards other people. And there's that essence of understanding and kindness. And really at the root of it is love. It's love of great food, of great beverage, which enhances the flavors of that all. Yeah. Right? If you could have one bottle of wine, what would that be? I always tell the story. Uh, Quality-wise, I've had great wines and, and different wines, but if I had my last bottle of wine, I know it sounds morbid, but it would be the bottle of Gary Farrell. And uh, Gary Farrell, to be specific, either the Fort Ross Seaview, um or Hallberg Vineyard. That's the winery and the wine that I had the day I proposed to my wife. It was the, if I was to revisit one more memory before I punch my ticket, it would yeah. be that bottle. It's that memory. How yeah. you, can you share how you met Sarah? Uh, yeah, I was just grabbing a drink at the end of the, uh, the, end of the <laughs> night, and uh, we met over a bottle of tequila and a, a game of Cards Against Humanity. And, the, and uh, Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald played, and, you know, the rest is history. That's amazing. So, yeah, it is For amazing. For her to have the same birthday, you're born two hours apart. <laughs> Pretty cool. How many years ago was that? Uh, that was in 2014, so seven years now. Now, she, was she in hospitality? Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. in hospitality. Just, it's just, of all things, you're sort of meant to meet <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, with that. Um, if I were wanted to learn about wine, because I know nothing about wine, and if I came to your restaurant and said, Sam, you know, show me wine on training wheels. I, I, I know anything about wine. What would you recommend for me? I think the best thing to understand about wine and the biggest epiphany that you could ever have is that wine is a sense of place. It's not a distilled product that had to be, you know, f distilled three times and aged in a new charred American oak. Um, it, it's a chapter in a book, uh, and each one is super unique and different and be impacted by things that happen in the vineyard or in the winery itself. 
And understanding that they're different and what you like or dislike about them can lead you down a rabbit hole of, well, why does this wine look or smell or taste the way it does? When you hit that epiphany and have that aha moment, that could lead you along a trail that is a fun one to pursue. See, I always amazed because there are people of different walks of life and you gravitated towards this, but you did that at a time of pain, that losing your father so tragically, and it turned to something wonderful. I mean, you did. Yeah. That you honored his memory. You, you did something good from that. Yeah. And I think, and so many people have benefited. So, you know, my show really is is to that American spirit, and you're an immigrant, your your parents are immigrants, to come here seek opportunity and to do what you did at a time of tremendous pain and you've helped so many people i really i thank you and i'm touched by that and i think one of the things we talked about is what, when times are rough you just keep moving on that's it as i had one dream about john after he died and in it we were flying a little airplane and i was in the cockpit and i was taxiing in, in the pilot seat he was the co-pilot and he just said to me in the dream just keep flying the plane so when times are rough, you just keep going. That's it. And one of the things that comes up, because it's been a tough time, as we know, we're at the tail end of the pandemic, more people are getting immunized, but now we have the Delta variant, so people are worried about that. But, and I tell people, well, if you've been immunized and you still maintain a distance and, you know, be, be prudent, you know, likelihood of dying, even if you get the variant, is low if, if you've been immunized. So if you haven't been immunized, you know, if you get it, you have a chance of— Go get it. Yeah, go get go get your vaccine. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I look—one of my friends shared with me on Facebook that all the fears in our lives, and every year there's almost a fear du jour. And I look back in 2020, what were we afraid of? Y2K is going to destroy everything, right? Everything's going to crash and burn. Nothing's going to work. Then in two, th- you know, and then uh, that was in twenty, you know, two thousand in in the year. I'm sorry, two thousand. Y2K. So in the year two thousand, it was Y2K. You know, the turn of the century. Two thousand one, it was anthrax, but the big thing was nine eleven, right? And that was a bona fide fear. That was horrible. Two thousand two, it was all about West Nile. 2003, it was SARS. 2004, there was not really that much that was going on. 2005, we were worried about bird flu. 2006, E. coli. 2008 was a rough year. It was a financial collapse, for for real. I mean, our markets really were suffering there. 2009, swine flu. 2012, the big thing on the the news was the Mayan calendar was going to predict the end of the world. That was eight years ago. Uh, 2013, North Korea was going to cause World War III. That was 2013. 2014, it was Ebola again. We were getting Ebola. 2015, ISIS was a threat. 2016, Zika. And then 2020, obviously, a real threat was Corona. So we've been through all these, and there's fear there. And, if, you know, how do you recover? You identify the thing that you're afraid of. You, identi- you put a name on it. You identify that that's it. Don't deny it. Don't look away. Recognize it. And define what's triggering it. You know, every time it comes up, you know, if I'm watching TV or reading the paper, then stop reading it all the time. Stop triggering it. And then understand what it's doing to you. And then find a positive mindset, which is what you've done with your life, is find the mindset to move forward and to conquer that fear 
and the adversity to make it something great. So thank you, Sam, for being on our show. Happy birthday, America. My absolute pleasure. And if you are in town, make reservations for Cafe Monarch. Ask for Sam the Man for an incredible dining experience. So I wish you all a wonderful month of July. Stay healthy. Get your shots. Wash your hands. And be kind to each other, okay? Be good to each other. So have a wonderful month, and thanks for listening to Dr. Connie and Sam on House Calls. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.